Happy Monday. Welcome to episode 20 of the Sneak Preview, our podcast that follows the current film calendar. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Caleb Zay. And we got a big fat show for you today. Of course, our primary focus is on Spiral, the latest Saw film, but we will also be discussing four other movies that came out this past weekend. Oxygen, The Woman in the Window, Profile, and Those Who Wish Me Dead. But before we get into that, let's see what happened last week in film. Last week in film. First up, trailers. The trailer for The Protégé was released. Stars Maggie Q, Michael Keaton, and Samuel L. Jackson. Assassin thriller from Martin Campbell set for August 20th. What do you think of the protege? Looks interesting. Uh, worried that it's going to be just a John Wick clone, yeah. which has been kind of like like anything that becomes famous is usually what happens. But I like the cast um, attached, and it did look like there's going to be some really cool action scenes, and it might be a lot of fun. So I'll go in with an open mind, but I am worried it might be a John Wick clone. I'm just happy it's not a Luke Besson movie because it's got a vibe. But all you know, all of his films are you know tough as nails chick versus society or some shit but <laughs> this this looks interesting um it is from the producers of john wick so there is in danger of it being a clone but then again nobody was also from the producers of john wick and that turned out to be a pretty decent uh kind of its own thing yeah uh, this could be you know a lot of fans want them to establish like a cinematic john wick cinematic universe with that nobody in this film which would be sweet but, you know, I, I'm not holding my breath. I'll, I'll see it. No, no, I'll, I'll check it out. It looks like the action that we know from these guys is going to be there. Yeah. I like the catch stash, Michael Keaton, uh, Samuel Jackson, Mankiw, like all of them. So I'll check it out. Yeah, me too. Samuel L. Jackson, that dude is like literally every fourth movie released he's in. <laughs> dude, that when I saw Spiral, there was at least like three or four movies advertised with him in it. Actually, I think it was this and another Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. <laughs> you know, all, nothing but praise. It's just I find it funny that he will take anything. He doesn't care as long as he can be in movies. As long as he can be in movies, and I think most of the time in, like, sweatpants, he's cool. <laughs> um, next up, Stillwater, a crime drama starring Matt Damon and Abigail Breslin set for July 30th. Uh, this looks interesting. Did you get a chance to see this trailer? Uh, I did. Um, it does look interesting. It looks like something a little different, kind of, from uh, Matt Damon. As far as, like, the type of action we're used to him, because we're so used to the, you know, Jason Bourne, Matt Damon. And not, like, whatever this, like, redneck version of him is. But <laughs> Is it just me, or can he only do Boston and, like, Deep South? Like, are the, that's, like, the only accents he can do. <laughs> Just, I feel like lately, you know, he had that brief cameo in Deadpool 2 where he played that redneck. He was Carol Shelby in Ford v. Ferrari, and now he's Stillwater as a redneck dude. So I don't know. It's just it's it's like when um Jeff Bridges after doing Drew Grit just kept doing that voice for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Um I don't know. I mean, the trailers seem kind of cheap, you know, like the font, it like looked like a PowerPoint. So I don't I don't know about that. But Tom McCarthy is an Oscar-winning filmmaker. You know, he won 
uh, for Spotlight. So here we are. I'll give it a shot. And of course, you know, we will talk about it on this show. Like we talk about literally everything else that comes out. Yeah. It's all about the length of the conversation. That's, that's the difference here. <laughs> uh, next, The Forever Purge. The fifth entry in the Purge franchise set for July 2nd. These always come out 4th of July weekend. Uh, I have not seen any Purge films, so I don't have a dog in this race. Uh, when we do this on the show, I will marathon those so I have context. But uh, as it stands, are you a fan of the Purge franchise? Uh, it's like a love-hate relationship with the Purge franchise. Uh, to me, like in a nutshell, running through all the films, uh, the first one was Wasted Potential because it just takes place in a fucking house the whole time. Two and three, I liked better because it actually went out into the ward like I wanted it to be. Um, and then the fourth one wasn't bad, but it went to being a prequel about how the purge started and was really, and these have always been like political films as well. So it's always like that's kind of the hate is because like they can be fun, but sometimes they lean heavy into the uh, politics, which can get annoying. Um, so the fourth one was all right. Like I said, it, went, it did the prequel move, which is never really a good sign for me when it comes to a scary movie franchise. Um, this one doesn't look bad. Um, I like, I they got surprisingly like, like good cast attached. Some people like, I think Josh Lucas popped up and I was like, oh, okay. Um, it looks entertaining enough. It looks like they're going to go in your face with the violence. Um, it's being billed as the final installment. But if horror's taught me anything, it's never final. Yeah, has that ever been true? I don't think so. No, <laughs> everything comes back. I'll, I'll check it out, but I mean, this is not like in my ranking of franchises. Not in my top. Yeah, I haven't really, you know, cared. <laughs> Just nothing's really drawn me to this franchise. Five films deep, and I haven't really even wanted to check these out. I'm only doing it out of obligation to the show. Yeah, dude, honestly, the only reason I even got into the whole thing was because I saw the first one turn off by because I was like, wait to squander your potential. Apparently, made enough money to warrant a sequel, which at that point, I was like, no, you fucked me over once. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> Some buddies wanted to see the third movie when it was coming out. I was like, well, I haven't seen the second one. So we rented the second one, which I ended up actually liking because again, it went out into the world like I wanted. Then we saw the third one. So I ended up getting into it a little bit later after seeing the first movie right on isn't there a show too yeah and i watched both seasons um because i'm a goddamn completionist that co the completionist streak extends into tv yes. wow uh, i'm sorry <laughs> yeah so have you watched like like freddy's nightmares and things like that I have seen episodes of Freddy Night Freddy's Nightmares that I can get my hands on, and same with um, Friday Thirteenth, the series. Because God bless, they think of any other name for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Forever Purge, we'll do it on the show, of course, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, the second trailer for the Green Knight dropped, uh, set for July thirtieth, and this looks really interesting. I'm I'm excited for this. I love the King Arthur story. And then, you know, I, I, I still think it's never been done correctly. And I know this isn't going to be that this is more of a side story, but it's kind of establishing a, you know, a new universe with King Arthur involved. And I, I'm, I'm excited. 
Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm really excited. I was excited like last year when I saw the trailer, the one trailer that yeah. we got. Um, I you know I like the story they're telling. I like a twenty four. I like the visuals in this movie. Like the the use of color in the trailers is stunning. Um, the fact that a twenty four is basically making an independent fantasy epic, yeah, is really neat. So I yeah I'm very interested in this and I want to see what they do with it. So it looks like it's going to be that like a dark fantasy, like it's going to straddle that line of horror and some of the imagery they put in the in the uh, trailer. And I've you know recently I've become a pretty big fan of Dev Patel. I've uh, I watched Slumdog Millionaire and Lion and the Personal History of David Copperfield, and I think this kid's got real talent. And I'm excited. I say kid, he's probably in his thirties, but anyway, uh, I'm excited to see him play a Knight of the Round Table. And yeah, I think this is going to be neat. Yeah, and it, it's another movie with like a pretty stacked cast. If you look at the cast list, it's a lot of good names attached to this one. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm glad this is finally coming out. I know this one, one. This is one that got pulled from the schedule because of COVID, and had trouble finding a release date after COVID. And I'm glad it's finally got one. So July 30th. Yeah. July 30th. Hopefully, and actually, you know what? Thinking of all these trailers, I really hope we get something for Antlers soon because I was dying to see that last year and I haven't heard shit since it got pulled. I remember Antlers. Yeah, I haven't thought about that one in a while. <laughs> yeah, that's one I was dying to see. Here's hoping. Uh, I feel like it will. It, it'll get something. Yeah, hopefully it was. It was a Del Toro, Del Toro produced movie since you know he takes on like twenty projects at once and can't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, even after, you know, an Oscar win and a culturally significant film, again, dude still can't get shit greenlit. Like, I don't know what it is. What does this guy have to do? <laughs> I, I don't think it's that. It's that he attaches himself to so many things. Like, if you ever get on, like, a, when I got on Blade Disgusting, right, there'll be a week where it's like, hey, Dotor's going to do this. Dotor's attached to this. Check out this new. It's like... I think it's more of a matter of like he says yes to too many things and doesn't know how to be like, I can't do this one. <laughs> I think a lot of times it's just, you know, throwing his name on there as a production, as a producer and just, you know, bringing home the green, but also, you know, adding it to his kind of catalog of weird. And Antlers definitely has that vibe. I think it's about a Wendigo or some shit. It's supposed to be like a creature feature, which I, that's what got me into. Like Del Toro produced creature feature, count me in. Well, you know, like we were just talking about how St. Maud finally got a Hulu release. So it, it, we'll see Antlers. I guarantee you this year we'll see Antlers. Yeah, hopefully. Who's hoping? It's, I think so far the only film that's been pulled that I haven't actually heard anything about. Everything else I've been hearing dates again. I know uh, Halloween Kills looks like they're ramping up the uh, the marketing for it. They just released images off of, uh, I think, Entertainment Weekly or some magazine. Yeah, I'm hoping for a full trailer any day now. Yeah, I fucking can't wait. Uh, finally, the long-awaited trailer for Venom Let There Be Carnage Set for September 24th But we'll see if that moves Hopefully it doesn't I feel like it's not going to uh, I, We're getting more set in stone now Yeah, I think Well, I think also with Like, you know The uh, the whole CDC Putting out what they put out I think we're going to see a lot more stuff Stay set in stone We're clearly Based off what they put out Based off what our president put out We're clearly getting towards the end of this pandemic. So things can start staying set in stone. Um, I'm actually really pumped for this. I like Andy Circus with thought of him directing because if anyone's going to be able to pull off the CG in this movie, it will be Andy Circus. Um, and hopefully now that they've had time, they can 
focus on everything else, make the movie good instead of like the first one, which I felt like was really like Tom Hardy holding everything else together. And I'm hoping that's not the case this time. Well, Andy Serkis, as we've seen in his career, is really good at showcasing like duality and characters that are at war with themselves. And Venom is kind of the definition of that character. So I'm I'm excited to see that. The the trailer looks fairly comedic with a Venom who's, you know, happy to be here and excited to have a life on Earth. And I'm going to eat her. (laughs) You're not eating Mrs. Chang. More than anything, I am so fucking stoked to finally see Carnage. Yeah. Oh, can we talk about them fixing the fucking atrocious wig? (laughs) Thank God. I hated that wig so much. I yeah, I'm I'm glad they did that. He looked like Sideshow Bob. And now he looks like a competent serial killer. Uh, yeah, Woody I, Harrelson is a great actor. Uh surprising choice for Carnage, not what I would have gone with. Um, I always thought Jim Carrey would have been the go-to. Well, he was the fan favorite for years. Who Woody? Jim Carrey. Oh, Jim Carrey. He was like a fan favorite pick for years. I think it's just a matter of they took so long to make it. Yeah. Like manic 90s Jim Carrey would have been perfect for psychotic Cletus Cassidy. But, you know, Woody Harrelson, I'm, I'm excited to give him a shot here. I'll and, give him uh, a shot. I think he'll pull it off. I'll give him a shot. Carnage has always been one of my favorite comic book villains. I, he's, you know, psychotic. To, so crazy that Venom had to make a truce with Spider-Man just to take this fucker down. Uh, fantastic. I yeah. doubt that's going to happen here, but I'll take what I can get. I don't know. Naomi Harris is playing Shriek, so he'll probably end up teaming up with Shriek. Yeah, and you know what? Like, like if they pull Carnage off, and I get more of what the uh, the Venom and Eddie Brock relationship, which was surprisingly one of the best things about the first movie. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, me too. This is going to be good. Yeah, I'm actually I'm that trailer sold me. I'm pretty I'm I'm ready for Venom. Let there be carnage as we're calling it. I hope we get an R rating, although I'm not holding my breath. I'm not, yeah. I you know I put all my hope in the first movie on that, and then they just destroyed me. But Carnage is a serial killer with superpowers. He rips people apart. Like I want to see that. Look, Venom eats people, and we still got a PG 13 Venom. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but you know. We've got proof that R-rated superhero movies are profitable. Look at Joker. Look at Deadpool. Like, we don't need more, you know. Logan. Yeah, there's no more need to prove yourself anymore. Just do this, you know, do it right. I know. Suicide Squad got the R-rating. Did you hear that? I did. Thank God. Uh, For graphic nudity. I really need to, like, reference that because I wasn't expecting to see that. Even for a superhero film, I was like, nudity? (laughs) It's John Cena. 100% John Cena. You're going to see John Cena in all his glory. Yep, you're going to see his peacemaker. It's going to be it's going to be cool. It's going to be a good movie. Not the one I was hoping. <laughs> I think we all know who we're hoping to see. She's in a little in a little movie called Wolf of Wall Street, but you know. Yeah. And if you want to see it, just watch that. I will watch that actually. <laughs> yeah. Um. Moving on, Dave Batista, Catherine Hahn, and Edward Norton have all joined Daniel Craig in the growing cast of Knives Out 2. Uh, very excited about this. Uh, I'm glad that you know Ryan Johnson's sticking with what does work. And 
pursuing a trilogy with this and the you know the deal with netflix that was like 40 million or like i think it was 40 million dollars 450 that's that's significantly more <laughs> yeah i was like it was no it was like 450 off their invisible money machine I'm still- <laughs> yeah i've i've always wondered about that like where does the it can't just be subscribers like where does the netflix money how do you judge a success I'm starting to get like almost more scared of Netflix than Disney because Disney, I know where that money is coming from. Do you? Do you really know where that money's coming from? I don't think we do. Avengers Endgame was the number one highest grossing film of all time until they cheated it with Titanic. So yes. Well not Titanic, Avatar. So yes, yes, I do. <laughs> They're making million billions at the box office. That's the money that we know about. But you don't become the king of entertainment without a lot of skeletons in your closet. I think yeah, there's also there's also the theme parks and all that shit they do. That I know they get their money from. Netflix is literally just streaming. That's what scares me. Like, where are they getting 450 million to buy the sequels to Knives Out? I want to say merchandise, but there's they didn't. There's no show that they have that's merchandisable. Like what? I don't know. I. I don't think we'll ever know. I think that's some secret shit that only Wall Street knows. Apparently, like, don't get me wrong. I love Knives Out. I'm with you. I don't. Brian Johnson, keep doing fucking original shit because I love, I love Knives Out. And the cast he's pulling off for this looks like it's gonna be just as great of a cast as the first one. But yeah, yeah where is Netflix getting this fucking money? I. Well, what are their Stranger Things is their biggest hit, right? Uh, as of now, yeah. Yeah, I think Witcher is slowly starting to get there for them. Mm. But right now, yeah, Stranger Things is their flagship show because, you know, House of Cards got uh, disgraced. It did. Yes, it did. Yeah, that was a rough season to close out on. I wanted to finish that up, and that was that was tough to trundle through. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, good luck, Netflix, with your giant movie deal. I hope it works out for you. Or, you know... If it doesn't, we'll never fucking know, will we? <laughs> yeah, you can't, they don't like to release their numbers. That's another thing. They, it's just like, so what? how many people watched on opening weekend? We don't want to say. We don't like to release that. I'm like, how is that legal? Like, TV, cable TV has to release the numbers. So then they can decide what gets renewed or not. Netflix is like, nope, it's only for us. That's the, I think that's the, you know, the weird thing. Like, is Netflix TV? Is it a film company? Like, what do you, what, what is it? <laughs> I I don't like, know. How can it score the, Oscar nominations and Emmy nominations? I, but then, like, you know, their films don't get released in theaters. Some of them do briefly, so they can satisfy that. Uh, well, I'll say briefly, though, and it's just to satisfy a wood season. Yeah. Besides well, no, that, is Army of the Dead is getting a uh, theater release. Oh, yeah, that's true. We all know Zack Snyder's not entering academies anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> save it <laughs> yep, I will hold on to that fucking Justice League should I need to unload <laughs> oh boy um, speaking of Netflix Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill are returning for a sequel to Enola Holmes which I did not watch I was gone I have not seen it I heard it was good um, I'm hesitant I don't know. I'll probably watch it eventually, but uh, you know, there, there's gonna be another one. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wish we had more for you there. 
but I didn't see the movie and he hasn't watched it yet. So there you go. <laughs> in my defense, I was on deployment when it came out. So in my defense, this podcast did not yet exist and I was under no obligation to see everything last year. <laughs> um, Boyd Holbrook has joined the cast of Indiana Jones 5, which is shaping up to have an insanely good cast. And uh, I'm waiting for a title drop. I want to know what this is called. Same. I'm actually really curious on this movie. Because, yeah, I'm one of the cast. I mean, Mads Mikkelsen and Thomas Crutchman in a movie together. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Boyd Holbrook, who I did like in Logan. I don't know how much of him to blame for Predator. Because that, that's just a fucking weird movie to talk about. Uh, but I liked him in Logan. Um, but the other thing that interests me with this movie is that Spielberg stepped away from it because of disagreements on the script. So, like, I want to know what the fuck happened. Like, did he have a good idea on the studio next it? Or was Siri like, that's a stupid fucking idea, buddy? Like, who told who what was a stupid idea here that caused the, him to leave? Well, how... Is George Lucas involved at any level? I don't think so. Okay, so it's not aliens. Because um, <laughs> that was the problem last time. <laughs> Nobody told George to shut the fuck up. Uh, this time, I mean, this is Steven Spielberg. You know, he's Hollywood royalty. Like, his ideas come first. On yeah. the table. So I don't know. I know. I know there was debate about if they were even going to bring... I, it could have been the studio causing issues because I think they were... I don't think the studios are too keen on Harrison Ford coming back because he can't... Well, he can be a cranky old man nowadays on set, and I think they weren't too keen on that. Well, remember also the studio now is Disney. Like, they uh, yeah. Indiana Jones now. And if there is one studio that does have no issue telling him no, him no it's them. That's true. And also, you know, Spielberg wanted to make West Side Story for some reason. Like, that's his committed project right now. So there might have been some, you know, Indiana Jones might have been an afterthought that he just didn't want to deal with, but still wanted to rake in the money. And James Mangold's a great choice because, you know, we've seen seen him handle, you know, iconic character over the hill before with Logan. Yeah, when they said it was him doing it instead, I was like, that is a fucking amazing backup. Like, the guy who did Logan and Ford F. Fiari, like, yeah, I am down with that. This could work. Uh, I wonder if it is going to be a passing of the torch movie and is maybe Boyd Holbrook is the next indie. I would be okay with that. Um, just in the sense that, like, obviously Ford can't do this forever. And honestly, one of my issues with the last movie, besides it being aliens, is that Ford does, he he looks it. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be a dick, but he looks old and you could tell it's kind of it's getting hard for him to pull off these stunts and it can kind of show sometimes so it's like you can't how much mileage you're gonna get out of this out of him the nearly 80 year old man looks like a nearly 80 year old man that's not being rude that's just facts yeah so it's like (laughs) admittedly when they first announced me i was like are we really doing this like no offense i'm actually okay if you guys just want to leave this franchise alone but if it's like a passing of the torch type thing all right so are they just going to ignore his kid with Marion or is somebody well, else playing mutt now or how's this working? Probably ignore if we know Hollywood well enough. <laughs> I would make this kid Willie Scott's kid out of wedlock. Hmm. 
or you know just bring in grown up short round his real goddamn son <laughs> why have they not done that for god's sake no no Indeed. pieces are there you don't need to make up new shit you've got it all right there because the franchise should have been it after the third movie but here we are here we are yeah we got to rectify a film that never should have existed in the first place but a film that will hopefully justify its existence it the bar has not been set very high for an indie sequel at this point but simply you know also this is indiana jones and i as much as i don't need the movie i want it to be good no i'm if if this is supposed to be his final one, like Ford's final movie, I want it to be good. Just like, obviously, I want this upcoming James Bond film to be good because it's supposed to be Craig's last one. If there any time it's a final movie with an actor, I want it to be good because it's like, no, give me a bang when you go out. I don't want to whimper. I do not want to fucking whimper when you go out. I'd be down. I think it would be neat if, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Boyd Holbrook is the, you know, the torch passer. I don't know. The guy, the new guy. It would make sense because he's like the youngest one they've cast, I think. Yeah. And he's, you know, an up and coming action star with a lot of potential mileage. Sure. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great track record, but then again, you know, well, no, prior to Indy, Harrison Ford had a pretty goddamn great track record. (laughs) (laughs) Apocalypse Now and Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) Never mind. But, um, I think it'd be neat if they did like a Last Crusade situation where now Harrison Ford is the, you know, old professor who's in over his head. And this new guy is, you know, maybe a student of his who Indy kind of has some respect for or something. It doesn't have to be his son. It could just be, you know, kind of a spiritual son. Oh, that would be that would be cool. You know, it'd be really cool if they could convince Sean Connery to come out of retirement. To He's come dead. Sean Connery's oh, dead. God, the deployment. That's right. I forgot. Wow. That happened yeah. on my deployment. I remember that was a big deal. Yeah, that's not happening. God. Sorry, I did not get a lot of sleep over this weekend. I'm fucked mentally right now. We've all, we've all, we've all been there. If they could get Sean Connery to come back to life. If they could somehow, yeah. I mean, he came back in Highlander too. Anything's possible. Don't you. Don't don't you bring up Highlander too? I can't believe there were sequels because I thought there could be only one. Anyway, only the first one counts. <laughs> Aren't there like nine of those and like two TV shows? Yeah, unfortunately. God. Anyway, uh, there's still plenty of act. I know. I think John Rice Davies is coming back or has expressed interest. I always I get so confused with that because those actors express interest, but then they don't come back. But they both get new stories out of it. Uh, I don't. I haven't seen him on the cast list. I think yeah. he probably just expressed interest. Probably, but I'm you know, I'm excited. And Indiana Jones has always been one of my favorite uh, franchises. So yeah, I just don't want to fuck this up. Yeah, it's honestly like I would honestly, when it comes to like Harrison Ford roles, I would actually probably put it over Star Wars personally. I just I've always liked Indiana Jones more. Oh, me too. Straight up, Indies. Yeah, I Indy over Han Solo any day of the week. Um, Disney's Disney's in the news a lot. Disney's Jungle Cruise will finally be getting released on July thirtieth in both theaters and for thirty dollars premiere access on Disney Plus. If you 
really want to do that? You've already given them their your soul. What's your wallet? I don't need to stir at the charismaticness of the rock and the hotness of Emily Blunt for 30 fucking dollars. I can just go see in the theater for less. Yeah, exactly. And I plan to. Uh, I don't really care about this. I'm kind of tired of Disney making movies out of their rides. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, we got this show. <laughs> it, it worked one time. And they even took that one into the ground. Yeah. Tomorrowland was a bomb. Haunted Mansion was a bomb. Jungle Cruise is probably going to bomb too. Yeah. I've never even been to Disney World. I don't know what their rides are, but I can tell. My intro to the rides so far have been these movies. Well, we know we're never getting the Splash Mountain ride because Song of the South has been sealed away. <laughs> or Splash Mountain movie, my mistake. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, this was really cool. Robert Eggers' new movie, The Northman, is confirmed for an April 8th, 2022 release. It's a Viking action epic starring Alexander Skarsgård, Willem Dafoe, Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke, Ralph Ineson, York, and Anya Taylor Joy. Can't fucking wait. This is going to be insane. Oh, yeah. I, I love Edgar's stuff so far, and I'm, I'm fucking excited. I'm glad he can assemble an ensemble like this now, because, you know, his first two films were so fucking fantastic. And yeah. now he's got this Viking epic that... <laughs> Bjork is in this. That, that surprised me. She's playing a witch. Yeah, that one surprised me. I was like, I wasn't expecting to see her in this. The guy who played the mountain in Game of Thrones is also in this. I just can't pronounce his name, so I didn't include him. They better watch out. You know, you might squeeze their fucking eyes out. That dude is barely the same species as the rest of us. That is a giant come to life. (laughs) I do I do like how Eggers has is creating his own troop of actors too, because he's bringing back uh, William Defoe from the lighthouse. And Anna Taylor Joy from The Witch. And Ralph Ineson and Kate Dickey from The Witch as well. Oh, yeah. So, see, I like how he's like, not, he's like coming up with his own like troop of dedicated actors. Yeah. And I bet Pattinson's not there because Batman. That was probably the only reason because I actually really like Pattinson in uh, The Lighthouse. That was the movie that turned my opinion of him around. I was before that thinking like the fucking Twilight dude is Batman. And then I watched The Lighthouse and I'm like, this guy's Batman? Fuck yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that movie is crucial to understanding Pattinson's development as an actor. Yeah, and how he really hates farting. Don't we all? God, don't we all? That movie. Yeah, but... You think that if they took, if they didn't do it in black and white, there'd be a lot more laughs? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, longtime character actor Norman Lloyd has died at 106 years old. Lloyd worked with filmmakers like Alfred Hitchcock, Peter Weir, Martin Scorsese, Judd Apatow, and Charlie Chaplin over a long and distinguished career that earned him two Emmy nominations. He was 106 years old. He was old Hollywood. And yeah, he worked with Chaplin, which is incredible. God damn. He was in Chaplin's 1952 dramedy Limelight. Holy shit. 
I'm not as familiar with a lot of his work, but when I saw, I because I saw the news and I saw his age, I was like, holy fuck, that man lived a life, 106. Yeah, his last movie was Trainwreck, the Amy Schumer movie. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, this dude was working nonstop since the 30s. Like I'm, I'm in awe that I've never heard this guy's name before. Wow, he went from working with Charlie Chaplin to doing a movie with John Cena. <laughs> Let that sink in. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah, he got that. He got that honor. <laughs> my god! Uh. <laughs> I actually really like John Cena's acting career so far. He's funny. He's a funny dude. Uh, he were he he was in a few episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He was in Dead Poets Society. He was in The Age of Innocence. He was in uh, there was a Judd Apatow film he was in that I'm blanking on. Give me a second here. But yeah, this dude actually might have been Trainwreck. I might have been was that Judd Apatow? Yeah, it was. There you go, it's Trainwreck. But I'm just to have that kind of a career is quite amazing the stories this man must have had yeah that god i i actually i'm i'm really mad at myself too for not knowing about as much because that is to me what sounds like a true fucking legend of hollywood to have that kind of career work with that many people and consistently work from like the 30s to god whenever trainer came out which was i think like 2000 like the 2010s 15 yeah yeah, 2015. Like that is a that's fucking amazing, and to live to 100. Yeah, much <laughs> like respect to his work, to him, and definitely R.I.P. Big time to that one. God yeah. damn, straight up. That is, yeah, wow. <laughs> I the more I learn about Charlie Chaplin, the more I learn that he was a goddamn sadist, but a hell of a filmmaker. <laughs> and we've explored him on uh, we. Austin and I did the great dictator on Oscar Sunday, but I always, I, I always love talking Chaplin because there's so many stories underneath that guy's makeup. Cause you know, the little tramp was funny and hilarious, but Charlie Chaplin, the man knew how to make people cry. And he like he, Marlon Brando called him, uh, I think a sadist, like to make Marlon Brando think you're out of line. You got to be up to some shit. God damn. <laughs> And also, that's how I found out that fucking Chaplin and Brando did a movie together, so I got to see that. Okay. I didn't know they did a movie together. Yeah. Finally, and this is huge, NBC has canceled the 2022 Golden Globes following a number of scandals surrounding the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. After allegations of racism, corruption, bribery, and just plain assholery, NBC has pulled the plug on the show until the HFPA gets their act together for real. No more of this half-ass apology bullshit. They want real change, and the show is dead until that happens. If I had a button that played Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead from The Wizard of Oz, I would push it right now because I'm very happy about this. What I have to say to that is uh, that's a bold move, gone. I have always fucking hated the HFPA. They're so full of shit. This award show is meaningless, and I'm glad it's dead. Yeah, I know that. Look, look, I have had my own personal issues with cancel culture, but in this case, this sounds like it was very justified on, um, you said NBC, correct? Yeah. 
NBC's uh, in NBC's case for them to say, you know what, we're not. No, we know what you're doing. You're not fully apologizing, so we're not airing your show. We're done. Yeah, and like, this you is, get your act together. They've been like this for years. There's been no black members of the HFPA for years, and their reaction to this revelation was, I, I swear to God, they just went on stage and were like, we are so sorry. We are, this does not reflect who we are. We will try better next time. It was so half-assed and they were clearly reading. Nobody gave a shit. Add that to the constant allegations of, you know, schmoozing Hollywood elite to get nominations. And it's just, it's, you know, it's the sleazy Oscars and the Oscars are already pretty damn sleazy. So we don't need another one. <laughs> you don't need to out sleaze the Oscars. It's they're they're doing just great on their own. There's only one. There's only room for one hoary movie award show, and it's taken. <laughs> so fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Check out our Oscar Sunday podcast on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Like if fans don't already know, I'm not the best biggest fan of the Oscars myself. But when it comes to this whole awards thing, like no, good for good for NBC, good for them to say like, look, you're not being sincere. You're clearly not trying to change. And you know, we have known facts of racism. Uh, what is it? You said um, they were rigging shit, basically. Yeah, they were. You know, they were. People were. Uh taking the Hollywood members, Hollywood foreign press members out to lavish dinners and sending them baskets of, you know, prizes and shit. And then they were ending up nominated. Okay. Yeah. So like bribery and corruption, stuff like that. Like then when that stuff comes light, then yeah, I am fully on the side of NBC to say, fuck you. We know this is happening. You're not being serious. We're not airing your show anymore. Like the Emmys are considered, you know, the pinnacle of television awards the Oscars are the highest honor a film can achieve. What is the fucking point of the Golden Gloves? There is no point. Like, it's just a bunch of assholes schmoozing each other for, you know, to try to get to take pictures with Johnny Depp. Like, there's no real purpose to this at all. It's got nothing to do with, you know, furthering careers or, you know, cinematic achievement. It's all just corruption and bullshit. And yeah, I'm, I was very happy to read this. Yeah. Well, it. It was weird because the Globes used. I remember sometimes you like it would be like if someone won the Globe, it was almost guaranteed they were going to get the Oscar as well. So it was like, well, what was the point? Because sometimes you just see a double win, like oh they got the Globe, and then but then you have those weird ones like when Stallone got the Globe for uh, Creed, yeah, but got snubbed by the Oscars, which that was one of those cases where I was like, well, fuck you, Oscars. I actually agree with the Globes. He should have won for Creed, in my opinion, but whatever. Some actors are returning their globes in like in support of NBC. Like Tom Cruise has returned his three golden globes to the HFPA. And you know, you are full of shit when the Scientologist doesn't want to back you. <laughs> so, Unless he didn't care. And Scientologist told him to turn it in. Let's just be honest. I wonder sometimes how much Scientology is pulling the strings on Cruise. <laughs> I don't think very often. I think he pulls the strings. I think he's, he's pretty much at the top of this thing. You think he's a head honcho right now? <laughs> Not the head honcho, but he's he's like one below the head honcho. I mean, you saw that weird award show with the giant dinner plate medallion. You, you know what's going on here. <laughs> oh, boy. Illuminati confirmed. Yeah. So, you know, bye, Felicia.
And let's move on. <laughs> Before we get into Spiral, let's talk a bit about the week's other releases. First up, Oxygen, which debuted this past Wednesday on Netflix, a French sci-fi drama by Alexandre Aja, or Aja, I don't know how to say his name. I'm going to try. <laughs> I know you saw part of this. Yes, I started up, and I want to clarify, this was in no, in no relation to the quality of the film. <laughs> I fell asleep. I was much more tired than I anticipated when I started up. Um, what I saw and enjoyed, I did enjoy. It looked like something much different from what I'm used to with Aja. I mean, this is a guy that's given us High Tension, The Hills Have Eyes remake, Piranha 3D, Crawl, all of which I'm huge fans of every single one of those films. I think all those films are good, but he is known for very much in-your-face gore, and this was not. This was very much a contained, um, t- smaller film, and I was enjoying it. Um, I like the actress, uh, Melanie Laurent. I it's a French name. Sorry if I'm fucking it up. Um, I know in case anyone's wondering, you have a French last name. I was born in Texas. Fuck off. Um, what I So yeah, what I saw I was liking, I do hopefully this week be able to sit down again and finish it and actually give it a, an entire viewing. It's, uh, I, want, I don't want to spoil it for you. Uh, let's see if I can dance around this. So, Sci-fi dramas, I, I've spoken about this on this on one of these shows. I'm really tired of sci-fi dramas kind of just doing the same thing every there's like two or three a year. Voyagers, stowaway, passengers. They just kind of they're in a formula. Oxygen broke the formula. To me, I was very impressed with that film. I thought it was very smart, very humanizing. It's all told from inside that pod. We never leave the pod. And a lot of that's because of, you know, COVID. It's a self-contained film that we were able to do. And it's also very smart in showing you how this woman figures out what's going on. Uh, I think it spoke to Aja's talents as a, as a filmmaker. I'm excited to see what else he can do. And uh, I will, <laughs> I can go on record as saying this is the only French film I've ever enjoyed. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I gave this an eight. I urge you to to keep going on this because it is a very entertaining movie and we will touch base in the future. Yeah, yeah, I, I will. It, I will. Like I said, it was not because of the quality. I was just more tired than I anticipated. It happens. And Yeah, and and I'm a massive Aja fan. I, I was actually not even interested until I saw that he was the one directing. I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, okay, yeah, I will check this out. I fucking love Aja. I, you know, I was... Um... I've had to watch a lot of horseshit because of these podcasts. I've had to sit through Federico Fellini. I fell asleep several times watching his films. I had to sit through Lucio Fulci. Fell asleep a lot watching his movies. So it happens. Yeah. Yeah, no. Like, I, yeah, I would give it a chance. Like, yeah, I think I was just tired. Yeah. It's no, no, no shots at Aja. Like, like I said, like, High tension. I thought it was a great debut for him. For him, I love the Hills of Eyes remake. I think he did such a solid job with that. Um, Piranha 3D was a lot of fun. So much fun. Um, and same with Crawl. I thought Crawl was a lot of fucking fun. So it was like, and like I said, the fact that he did do something different, even if it is with the COVID restrictions in place, does absolutely speak to his talent that he can do something different and apparently something really good because I've heard a lot of positive things on it. Yeah. 
I hope that he finds out, like he hears about this, like he hears about this episode, finds out you fell asleep during his movie and is just mind-blowingly offended. Like to the point where he like hates your guts, like irreparably, like you can never fix this. <laughs> Why would you wish that? Because <laughs> that would be so funny for me because I didn't fall asleep and he would be like totally cool with me, but he would hate you. <laughs> I was tired. <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> oh, well. It's, yeah, it's a great movie. It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. Um, it is French, so if you don't like subtitles, well, sorry, but it's great. Yeah, and also be careful because apparently it's French, but Netflix will immediately play it in English because I, that confused the shit out of me at first. That didn't happen to me. It, for some reason, played mine immediately in English, and I noticed the lips, were, lips weren't matching. I was like, what the fuck's going on? And then when I looked, it said French original dollar. I was like, why don't why wouldn't you just play it and it's okay? Yeah. I've I've I'm glad I don't have an issue with subtitles or foreign films because there's so much I would never get to see if I had a problem with it. Yeah, I yeah. I embrace the subtitles. Moving on, profile. Uh a divisive film between the two of us and a um a much delayed release this originally debuted at a film festival in 2018 and took a long time getting to theaters can't really seem to find out why uh it's filmed similarly to unfriended searching and host in that it is all told through webcams facebook and uh skype and it's a film about a it's a true story about a British journalist who goes undercover as a converted Muslim woman to catfish a terrorist and get a story out of it. And while that does sound like a horrifically bad idea, it does get worse. <laughs> um, so why don't you uh, start out? What 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 do you think of Profile? So I wasn't the I was the one that was not a huge fan. Um, personally, I, I don't, I actually really like the whole, like, I call it like the Skype, there was a name for it, I saw someone, but the Skype type of horror films. Yeah. I have no issues with them. I actually think it's a really inventive way to tell a story. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I think in this case, it actually took me out of it because it would do that thing where she'd pick a new day and you see also in like three days later, her life is this much deteriorated and it's cutting to like all this stuff. It, for me, it didn't really work so well. Like it took me out having that happen. Yeah. Um, and then like the biggest thing for me, I understand that, like, I understand that um, the idea of the, the ISIS, right, is that they are luring women by playing with their emotions to get them to convert and come over. I would have been totally down with this idea of her falling in love with a fucking known terrorist if the movie established more that this is a down-on-her-luck female that's alone. But she's a journalist with a not bad life. She has a very loving boyfriend. There is a scare about her rent, which gets fixed the next day. <laughs> she gets offered, because of this story, a full-time staff job. There's nothing bad about her life that is depicted, and yet I'm supposed to believe that she got so undercover, she fell in love with a known fucking terrorist, and it wasn't until her IT guy that she was suspicious of at first... <laughs> can decipher the damn message between her dude and the driver that she goes, Oh, okay, never mind, And let her complete life deteriorate and fuck everything up. 
that was just really hard for me to get behind. It's like, why would you be this dumb? You knew what you were getting. You were looking shit up as you were fucking talking to him. <laughs> yeah, admittedly, she did not prep for this at all. Like, she should have learned how to speak the language. Like, this is a, you know, this is undercover work in one of the most dangerous organizations on the planet, and you're just going to wing it? <laughs> that's That's not smart. <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was honestly, I think my biggest my biggest reason I ended up not walking away. I was like, if you had done a better job establishing, like that first uh, teenager they bring up, if they had done her and shown, okay, this is a very much alone person. She feels like she doesn't belong. I would have been more into it. I would have followed better and gone the idea of what you're telling when it comes to ISIS. But all I could think throughout the movie was like, stop, you're being fucking stupid. Why are you laying your relationship with your boyfriend go down the hill for the fucking terrorist that is openly talking about killing people at no point is he hiding it he's openly talking about his i've killed 20 people or you know blah blah blah. like he's it's not like he's being that fucking charming anyway he's open about the bad shit he's doing but we got to remember who's got the six-pack mr terrorist is significantly hotter than white bread milk toast Matt. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You should go with the guy that has have zero issues killing hundreds of innocent people because that of his literally, upbringing in London. That is literally the only positive I can I can think of of why she would prefer the terrorist man. Yeah, I agree with you that there is very little for her to be to feel alone about, and how she would get sucked into this pitch is very difficult to swallow. I agree with that. I enjoyed it on the strength of the performances and the the tenseness of the film. I thought that, you know, scenes where like, you know, the dog pops in and she's like, you know what? Like when, when both lives start to like, you know, slide into one another, I, lo- I like the way that felt. And I kind of wish the film, like the second half of the film had been more of like the, the veil collapsing and everyone kind of finding out about, you know, who she really is. Because we never really get to see Bilal's uh, yeah, Bilal, whatever. reaction to finding out she's a journalist. And I was really looking forward to that. And I think that's what also bugged me. Because I do agree with you that the performances were great in this movie. I'm not going to take that away. Even the chick from Black Lightning was really good <laughs> in this movie. Um and yeah, I actually put in my review, like I actually at the end of my review for the site, I put like, this is how it went for me. Kind of bored because I wasn't down for like the way it was being presented, getting mad at the main character. And then at the end, finally getting intrigued. I was with you when that started happening, that veil was getting broken was when I finally got on board. And I was like, oh, OK, here we go. Because it was like, OK, I'm going to see things really inten- intensify. But then the movie ends. Yeah. Right when I got intrigued and the veil's breaking and then she has that fucking freak out moment at the end when she's talking to her boss because you guys like look this is where she lives and stuff the movie fucking ends and tells me our general blanket statement about isis and i'm mean, like what really happened to her <laughs> what did you say like the fbi advised her to change her name yeah that was it and i'm like all right so you finally got me hooked and then you just ended the fucking movie i gotta say though that the like terrorist video that he says he'll drop if she launches the story, creeped me the fuck out. 
Like that, that, was, that was disturbing. That was 100% the most terrifying thing right there. That he released a video that showed exactly where she lived, her name, everything. Because globally, like every jihadist who find who sees this woman kill her. Like, fuck. Yeah, that was absolutely terrifying. Um, and then I think another thing to me, it's the whole release of this film was really weird. I this isn't really a quality film. The whole real this is more about the release. The release of this film was weird. Um, it feels weird that like it's come out so long after ISIS is no longer considered a threat like it used to be. Um, that now it's coming out and that it played in festivals back in 2018. Like it's really, especially after the year that we've had in America and I guess the war, if you will, weird that we're getting an ISIS movie now. <laughs> well, we were supposed to get an ISIS movie in 2018. Yeah, a little bit more timely then, I would say. And the movie takes place in 2014. Yeah, I, I know it takes place in 2014. I'm saying the release for it's weird. It's not a knock on the quality. It's just like a really weird release. I think it would have been better. I understand it's based on a book, um, In the Skin of a Jihadist by Anna Arell, I assume is the real-life journalist who did this shit. If so, you're a fucking idiot. Um, I would have. I think it would have been better if they'd taken elements of that and made something original because then we could have gotten a more conclusive finale like i would have ended it with them killing the boyfriend mm. like the, he finds matt and sends her a video of his fucking beheading like that's what i would have done like i would have done yeah. a full jihad on this motherfucker i would have done that i would have made it more known that she does go alone like being matt isn't the best boyfriend or her job she's really on her job but there's a lot of things i would have done that have sold me better on the story you were telling yeah like maybe she's a journalist who like fucked up a source once and got blacklisted and this is her way back like then you've got motivation for getting sucked into this world like she cannot go back without something yeah because that yeah that was the other thing that they kept talking about how great her last story was in the beginning of the movie they kept mentioning that like oh they really love your last story i'm like how how am i supposed to leave you get this badly undercover like <laughs> you don't have a bad life at all your boyfriend is constantly talking about how much he loves you and getting a place together and even fixing the whole uh payments on stuff to make sure that you're still fine like what plan is your life back i don't understand there's like she you know her whole plan is just blindly go on facebook and hope that a terrorist reaches out like that's not good undercover work i mean you know in like Undercover ops, you know, they prepare you for months. So you are 100% qualified for this job. Like there's a mental, it's a mental toll, it's a physical toll. You have to forget who you are. You can't just back and forth it like that. And we see her fuck that up several times. Like when she posts, you know, RIP on her actual Facebook page. And then like, I don't know, I did love in the end and, in case you all weren't, no, uh, weren't noticing, we are spoiling the fuck out of all these movies. Um, that's just a given at this point. It's not, your, it's not my fault if you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> when, when it's revealed that he's been doing the exact same thing to her the entire time. That he's just there to get sex slaves. Like, that shit got tense. I can't believe she went all the way to fucking Amsterdam. Like, she went yeah. so close. She, she was going to buy the ticket to Syria out of fucking spite. And you know what's funny? That's when I was getting angry. I was like, so you did that, you dumbly did all this bullshit. 
And then you're surprised when you find out he's been lying to, again, known terrorist, talks about people he's killed. I think he mentions he mentions he's been wanted. He mentions the they want him. He's a wanted man. He says it. And then she's surprised when the, she finds out, oh, you just want me for a sex slave? No shit. You read an article on it earlier in the movie. There is no situation ever where a European woman has been lured by ISIS to the Middle East. No situation that way has ever ended positive. It either ends with sex slave or violent death. There is no third option. There's no happy family in, in ISIS. These are terrorists. These are monsters. Yeah, I, she the first her introduction to him it was that it was that video he posted of an ISIS woman getting beheaded. I'm like, how does that sell you on this fucking guy? Another thing that scene in the Amsterdam hotel room where like the people are banging on the door and he's like, who's there? And he's she's like, nobody. Who the fuck was it? Who who was banging on her door? That was never explained. What was that? Like that was not a that was not room service. That was get the fuck out the room kind of knocks. Yeah, I was thinking like, oh shit, his people are about to come in and grab her. And like that, I was like, oh no. We're I was thinking either on. that or like Interpol, like somebody is getting her, but no. No, well, and then there was like that. And then I did you think it was weird when the boyfriend brings her dog back, but he doesn't come inside? <laughs> yeah. He just lets the dog in and then, okay, bye. I think the craziest part is that she didn't tell him most of this. She just kind of let him believe that she was just casually chatting with a, with a jihadist. Like she didn't tell him this is for work. I'm going to be doing some undercover thing. You can't be here for a bit. Like just why I didn't feel bad when he broke up with her. I'm like, you didn't tell him shit. No, he can do better. And it looks like he is. Yeah. I'm so, like, absolutely. He has every right to think you're toxic. Cause Holy shit. You didn't tell him anything. Yeah, that is dark shit to hide from your, from your significant other. Um, yeah, this was, Still, despite all these flaws, I did enjoy it. No, I'm. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm glad you. I'm not like you enjoy what you enjoy. You're glad. I'm glad you enjoy it. It was just very hard for me personally to get past a lot of this shit. It was like, I no, I'm no. Fair enough. Fair enough. I kind of want to read the book. I want to see like, is there stuff they left out? Like, what else happened here? So, I read might that. read it once my anger has subsided. <laughs> So that's profile. Uh, I would say check it out. Uh, maybe don't pay movie ticket prices. It'll be on streaming eventually. Unless it takes like one or three years. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody like this movie is just like one guy just doing everything. <laughs> He's promoting it at the festivals. He's transferring it from film to DVD. Just one dude. <laughs> oh, that makes this was filmed in nine days. It's entirely possible. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's the only bit of trivia of this movie. Filmed in nine days. Neat. All right. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, next up, The Woman in the Window. Uh, Netflix release uh, was supposed to come out in the theaters last year. Got pulled due to rewrites, then got pulled due to COVID. Finally bought by Netflix dropped this past Friday, and what a shit show this movie is. Uh, I did not have a chance to watch it, so this is all you, big guy. Yeah, this was one of... <laughs> so, production and pe uh, a lot of people have been saying, like, no, this is not a remake of Rear Window. Like, they are so adamant about it. 
five minutes into this movie, I'm like, this motherfucker is a remake of Rear Window. <laughs> like, why are they lying about this? Were they really saying that? Because the trailer sold it as a Rear Window remake. IMDb trivia says, like, despite plot similarities, this is not a remake of Rear Window. And a lot of people were like, no, we did. it's not a remake. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's a, re-ima- a gender-swapped reimagining that is way worse. Way worse. Uh, Amy Adams is the only one doing a lot of good work here. She is fantastic in this movie. Uh, as an agoraphobic who is separated from her husband, Anthony Mackie, who is barely in the movie. Why cast a A-lister like that if you're not going to use him? Uh, and she can't leave her house due to uh, reasons. And do you mind if I spoil this one or are you going to watch this one? I, I, I don't. I'm not rushing to see this one. All right. She's crazy. And Anthony Mackie and her daughter have been dead the whole time from a car accident she caused. And that's why she's agoraphobic. And that actually she, doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. She, um, new neighbors move in next door. Gary Oldman, again, criminally underused. Everyone in this movie is like A-listers that do not need to be here because they can do so much better. Like, why are they in this movie? Wyatt Russell, like Julianne Moore. It's crazy. Wait till we talk about the next movie that I did watch. <laughs> uh, so th- what else? Um, it was kind of forgettable. I watched it last night and it was like, uh, so the new family moves in next door, Gary Oldman and his wife and their son, this, their teenage son, Ethan, who's a little, uh, a little on the spectrum and abused as well. And one day this woman comes over after these asshole kids are egging her, egging Amy Adams house. Cause she didn't put out Halloween candy. Cause just cause you're mentally ill doesn't mean you can't be nice. And, uh, <laughs> They make that point in the movie. It's crazy. <laughs> um, Julianne Moore befriends Amy Adams. They have a drink together in Amy Adams' house, and she's Gary Oldman's wife. Next day, she sees Julianne Moore stabbed in the chest across the street and is like, call 911, and she calls the cops. Gary Oldman comes over with his wife and is like, she's fine, and it's Jennifer Jason Lee. And she's like, that's not the woman I met. He's like, well, this is my wife. And the cops are like, you are crazy, lady. We're never going to listen to you and leave. And really, it's just a series of impossible scenarios where the cops don't even investigate shit. She's made to look insane. And then in the end, it's, it turns into a crime, like an action thriller for 20 minutes. It was very boring. It was very clearly a um, remake of Rear Window. Rear Window, the movie itself, is in the film. Like, it's they're watching it at one point. Like, it's not an homage if you just fucking steal it. <laughs> it's not a remake, but we're going to definitely put the movie in at least a scene. Yeah. It's... <clears throat> so, in the end, it turns out that teenager Ethan, who's on the spectrum, is not on the spectrum. He's just psychotic, crazy, manipulative. He killed Julianne Moore, who's actually his birth mother, who showed up looking for cash, and Gary Oldman and Jennifer Jason Lee helped him cover it up because they hated her too. But now Ethan has a taste for it. He goes after Amy Adams and she gets the upper hand somehow after getting stabbed in the face with a fucking like garden rake thing. And then Brian Tyree Henry shows up at the hospital and was like, I am so sorry we didn't believe you, Miss Crazy Pants. And it's, yeah, it's just uh, nothing really makes any sense. You don't really get a lot of satisfaction and you feel like every actor, Wyatt Russell's just there to get killed off screen. <laughs> it, his whole character is so weird. Like he's angry about 
her looking at his mail because he's an ex-con who skipped his probation and that never comes back like it's just a series of red herrings that doesn't go anywhere and the ending is really is like really that's what you went with that sounds like a real race of a right wrestle he's been shown some incredible talent yeah freaking falcon and u.s agent are in this movie <laughs> and they're both underused <laughs> oh damn it <laughs> I was waiting for fucking Sebastian Stan to show up as a pizza guy or something. He still has like his robotic arm. He just always has it now. Falcon of the Winter Soldier is filming in the set right next door and he just like bolted over and like forgot to change out a wardrobe. <laughs> that would be awesome. Have you seen the pics of him for his upcoming movie as a Tommy Lee? That looks crazy. Him and Lily James look completely unrecognizable. That looks yeah. wild. I'm I'm actually like I saw the picture and I was like I'm kind of down to see this that looks fucking damn that they look spot on. I never thought I'd want to see a mini series about Tommy Lee and Pam Pam Anderson's sex tape, but I gotta say I I'm curious. Yeah, look, you know what? I s- stopped being uh, in disbelief of films coming out when they announced Jackass Four, and I was like, all right, we're now. Like, we're getting biopics of sex tape stories now. Like, not every story in history is worth a movie. No, but we're getting it. Look, I better, look, this is all I got to say. Look, because, you know, all these rock biography, metal biographies come out. I better be, like, in my 40s and 50s and seeing shit on, like, Slipknot and Zombie and Corn, and finally be the guy in the theater going to be like, I remember when I was a kid and they were coming out with that music. Some guy's going to say, shut the fuck up, old man. We're trying to watch this. Yeah, some kids. Oh, those are classics. I lived it. <laughs> you don't know music the way I know music. Just go full senile crazy freak on them. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I saw them in 2010. Like just <laughs> anyway. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Woman in the Window. I gave it a six. Not very good. It's on Netflix, but honestly, you could skip this one. Because I just told you everything you need to know, and no one's going to ask you about this movie. So, look, as of now, there's only two films I need to, I want to watch new release rights I missed, and that is Oxygen and The Mitchells versus the Machines. That was so good. And yes, you need to watch that one. Mm. Uh, finally, Those Who Wish Me Dead, a clunky title for a clunkier movie. Um, why don't you start us off on this? Well, First, I'd like to say I did enjoy it slightly more than Profile, but not by a whole lot. The score was literally like a five on Profile and a six on this movie, so it's not like it was a whole lot. I have become a real big fan of uh, Taylor Sheridan's work. I like what he's done writing rise with Sicario and Hell or High Water. I am a fan of the show Yellowstone. I like how he's able to make really believable, grounded characters and mix it in this like modern Western. They like to call it the neo-Western of course they like to call it um and i like how he does that i don't know what the fuck happened here like i don't know like he none of those things that um, he's known for in my opinion when i watch his stuff was to me evident here um he had a very talented cast he had joe lee kind of come back to more of an action role we haven't seen her do that in a while but she barely does any action uh then there's the whole thing about her prior experience that traumatized her that's never really fully explored, like, ever. Yeah. 
um, you have two storylines kind of happening, right? You got the Jolie one, and then the one where these assassins are killing people for a reason that I don't recall ever being explained, actually. That was the biggest issue I had with it was like, what the what's the point of this? Like, what are they after? It's just yeah, like, like somebody has a secret. Somebody knows something about something. And then we meet Tyler Perry for 10 minutes, but we're not told what the hell this is about. Yeah. Okay. So like I watched this, and I was pretty tired and I thought, yeah, like, I just don't remember, but I, yeah, they never explain why the fuck these people are getting killed. And then these, these two storylines finally converge, but they still feel like they haven't fully converged. Like at no point is Jolie running away from the assassins. She's just trying to get the kid into town. That's like there's they, she doesn't meet them until the end of the fucking movie. Then there's like a fire they start randomly to I guess finally kickstart the whole like issue she had at the beginning of the movie. You have a, and again you have yeah you have a cast like you got Tyler Perry who has done good in traumatic movies before. You got Julie who's done good before. You got one of my favorites from uh you know Shane from The Walking Dead, John Berthal, who crushes it in anything he does. You know, so on and so forth. Nicholas Holt, who looks, he really looked like he was committed to his fucking performance, but all of them are severely underutilized. Also, you know, Nicholas Holt and Aiden Gillen are two incredibly incompetent assassins. The whole point of an assassination is it's not supposed to be this messy. They burn down a whole goddamn town just to get this kid. Well, that was another thing. You've seen moments where like Nicholas Holt isn't on board. With uh, Aiden Gillen's um, method, you see it in his fucking facial expression, but we are never given anything more. Yeah, we're never are like he, you know, he they don't he doesn't want to hurt a pregnant woman, but he still, you know, almost burns her face with the with the poker. He has no issues shooting at the kid. Just why bother dropping those hints if you're never going to deliver? Yeah, this is a film that to me just reeked of under underutilization and just kind of underwhelming with the name attached. It would have come used to the quality with him. I felt that John Bernthal was criminally underused. I wanted more from him. I think him and Nicholas Holt, I think, should have swapped roles. I think Bernthal as a hardened assassin would have been way better. Nicholas Holt has this kind of boyish charm about him that I would have believed he's a cop who wants to do the right thing. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can be down for that. At the same time, I wonder if they purposely did that because maybe Bernthal didn't want to do something that was too Punisher-like, and Holt maybe looking for doing something a little bit different than what he's known for. Fair enough. Yeah, it could be something. But I can, I can, I can see that working as well if they were to like swap it. It also, and this might just be my personal bias because I don't like her. I did not buy Angelina Jolie as a traumatized firefighter for a second. It, I'm not as huge into her like a lot of people are. I, I do. I don't think she's a bad actress by any means. And I had a bunch of buddies that had humongous crushes on her when we were kids. I never uh, understood that either. Honestly. I I don't think she's ugly. I, I mean, I would. I'd be down. But <laughs> I was not one that had the huge crush on her. Um, it. I felt like she, she did fine performance wise, but like comparing to seeing her things like Tomb Raider and Wanted, she delivered on like none of the action for kind of, kind of coming back to more action centric role. She did none of it. Yeah. It's just a, I, I don't know if you felt this, but I felt this and then I looked into the letterbox reviews and I was surprised to find I was not alone in this, but this felt like a nineties movie. Like yeah. this had like a nineties action thriller kind of thing going for it, where you're not really told what's going on. You just know assassins, 
fire Angelina Jolie. And, but I feel like nowadays we need more than that. Like I need yeah. to know why, why something's happening for me to get invested in it. And the nineties usually did other shit to get you into it. Like they didn't throw in like 20,000 storylines. It was a very streamlined story story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. This was just a bummer and I'm glad we had spiral because otherwise this would have been the primary and that would have been a bummer of an episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thank God for Sproul, because we definitely—I know—we both agreed on this one. And with that, let's get into the meat of today's story. I don't know why I said that. Today's show, Spiral, was the brainchild of Chris Rock, who happened to run into Lionsgate Vice Chairman Michael Burns at a friend's wedding in Brazil. Rock wanted to branch into horror, and he was a big fan of the Saw franchise. So we had a meeting with Lionsgate where he pitched his idea. Apparently, it went well. Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger, who wrote 2017's Jigsaw, were brought on to write the script, and Saw vet Darren Lynn Bousman was brought on to direct. So they, they were kind of like picking, you know, a little like greatest hits of the franchise to make this new one, which I, I appreciated. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it in general what they kind of did with this movie and that because uh, people were telling me, a buddy of mine, um, EJ, he had seen it. Um, or he got like a screener. He does. Uh, he works for Rob Titus reviews and stuff. And um, he had told me that he's like, "Hey, look, it's re- it's good. You'll like it, but just know, you know, this is a stylistically different film." I don't know if I'd agree with that. I, this felt like a Saw movie through and through to me. It did, but like, really watch that series again, and it, to me, this does not feel like the sequels as much as it does like it feels more like the first one in that the torture uh the traps were not the focus this time which yeah. was something the sequels tended to lean into i agree with that uh i was also you know a little bummed we didn't see billy or uh jigsaw but you could tell that you know you could feel jigsaw like he was here in spirit like the legacy was not ignored and i appreciated that yeah like i said it I liked how they went. It was a the style was a little different. It was a new way to bring about this story, but still very much a saw movie. It's still in the continuity. And yeah, Jigsaw had his like, so you had the picture immediately as soon as they saw it. It wasn't like you might it was like, oh shit, we have a jigsaw copycat on our hands, like immediately. Yeah. You know, you could feel that yeah, the what crane what John Kramer did all those years ago still haunts the police to this day. I thought it was funny where they mentioned like Jigsaw never targeted cops. I'm like, you watch those movies? He killed quite a few cops. <laughs> like in Saw Five, they have a whole fucking lineup like of the pictures of every cop who died on this case. Like I remember that from Tap to whoever the fuck died in Four, like uh, Matthews. Like I remember that. And now they're saying like he never went after cops. Well, technically. Tap got shot by Zep. All right. Well, what about his partner who got blasted with the wall of shotguns? Okay, that one's fair. What about Matthews? I'll give you Matthews. I'll give you Riggs. But then also the female. Um, Carrie? Yeah. She got killed by Amanda. Remember? True, but she was still put in the trap on Jigsaw's orders. Yeah, but he didn't know it was an unwinnable trap he had suspicions and then that was like one of his many confirmations on it so that was i put that more on amanda she made it unwinnable 
And then anything past four was a cop, Hoffman, who was the killer killing other cops to hide his name. So I would argue that, yes, Jigsaw didn't necessarily go out of his way to target cops compared to his apprentices that had almost zero issues. Potato, tomato. Also, did you find it odd that, like, we've got a Saw movie with a, you know, that's clearly a continuation. We've got a situation where the cops themselves are being targeted, dirty cops, and no one even mentions Hoffman? It, that was, yeah, that was weird, and I did look it up, because I, I know that one of the proposed ideals was to have Chris Fox's character, his father actually be Cap. But they were like, eh, let's not do that. Like, I think they really kind of want to distance from the original run to an extent. To, just to break free of like story continuity that got convoluted after so many fucking sequels. I don't think um, it's been convoluted. You just got to pay attention. Yeah, but I think it was just a chance to have more freedom with the story. Um, it, it, yeah, it was still weird. It's like, you think that would be mentioned because Hoffman was a cop that yeah. was an apprentice but apparently you know carrie Ouls, who was the real mastermind is no longer around well i'm not saying the killer needs to be hoffman's ghost but like just you know when you got a serial killer modeling himself after jigsaw you want to go through known accomplices and you know apprentices and hoffman's name's going to come up like they're going to remember the cop who was the next jigsaw yeah yeah Oh, whatever. Semantics. Yeah. Potato, tomato. I will, I will say what I didn't notice, um, thinking about when you mentioned the Dirty Cops stuff, a lot of reviews for this are pointing out how like topical this movie is with the cops. Yeah. And the only reason it at that point kind of bugs me is because this film, this we need to pay attention to when a film came out, when it was made and what was going on in America. It was because a lot of people are being like, you know, it really tries to make a statement about the cops nowadays and it doesn't do a good job. I'm like, well, it, it actually wasn't. I was like, when this movie was filmed and came out, the riots had not been a thing. I was like, when that they filmed it, the riots were not a thing. And then it got delayed because of COVID. Then the riots happened and now we got it. It's just a matter of like what happened in America in the year that it got delayed. I don't care if it was. I, I, I think that pointing out, you know, doing a film that talks about the you know the shittiness and the corruptibility of cops i'm on board for that i'm i think that's just sick and i think we should be talking about it and if saul wants to take a shot at that go ahead yeah, i don't get why that's like, like a so, you know a soft issue i don't get that yeah I, i'm just saying like i've noticed a lot of people keep pointing it out i'm like look and not only that like you said it's always been kind of like a thing with saul like saul's always been a thing about pointing out inherent human evils and again hoffman corrupt like, ass cop <laughs> like no one was saying this shit then <laughs> yeah, so it's like, stop trying to put this spin on this particular song. Maybe it was like, it's just a matter of that shit, the shit, you know, the riots happen in America, and then this film got delayed a year. Saw 2, Saw 2 is all about a corrupt cop who fucked over a lot of people. Like, yeah, Detective Matthews. <laughs> this has been kind of a running theme since, like, the beginning here. Yeah, this, this is not a new theme the Saw franchise has brought forward. Yeah. Tap was like kicked off the force in the first movie for like being, you know, harassing people over this investigation. There's been in bad cops in every movie. <laughs> yeah. But we're now pointing it out because timing. But uh, I love that this film still did not win with Rotten Tomatoes. We were, we're never going to get a positive Saw movie. It's never. No, you know what? 54% is fucking good. For Saw. It's, dro- it's dropped. It's 39 now. 
God damn it. <laughs> but it's 76 user. And that's what matters with these. That is what matters. No, yeah, I know. I I liked it a lot. I Chris Rock actually really surprised me. Um, there was a couple of questionable dramatic moments from him. Like his but, wide-eyed, fuck you. Like that. Oh, that was- yeah. <laughs> all that, what, the scene in the trailer? They're targeting, he's targeting all the cops. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, okay, Mr. Rock. But uh, for the most part, he does do really good in this movie. And um, I did, like, the early scenes when he's being, like, that kind of, like, free-flowing dude that's cop that's making the jokes and stuff that was really good like that was like prime fucking chris rock right there the whole uh, opening yeah. with like talking about forrest gump made me laugh so hard Just, you know, she got with him yeah when she had aids like i didn't see a sequel <laughs> that was that's <was> great <laughs> oh boy there were a lot of uh tarantino references in this movie yeah yeah I, I noticed, I was like, well, there was a lot of Tarantino references, and this movie, more so than, like, the first one, really felt, you could tell the influence of Seven on this one, like, big time. I could feel that, yeah. Mm-hmm. The art direction was great. Um, I did not like New Jigsaw's voice. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's, to me, okay, so you have, like, two types of horror villains, right? You have, like, your your Michaels and your and your Jasons and stuff like that, where you can get a new actor for the most part that you still want them to do a good performance because trust me, even though they don't talk, if they give a shitty performance, you're going to tell. Um, but then you have your ones like Chucky, Freddy, Jigsaw. Well, that voice is just iconic. So it's to me, it's going to be so difficult because of how great and perfect and iconic Tobin Bell has become with that to do anything that will even remotely get close. Cause I was with you. I wasn't really behind the voice. And if anything with that, I didn't think the twist was as great as prior saw films. It's pretty obvious. It was, it was a pretty, uh, obviously the guy who got killed off screen is not dead. Yeah. (laughs) But, and that could be the fact that this is what the ninth movie, eighth, no, ninth, ninth, sorry. Ninth film. They should know what us people who are watching. Most people watching this movie are diehard Saw fans. We're gonna be looking for the fucking twist. So you have to try harder than the yeah the guy who just dies off screen. <laughs> um. That being said, I was the motivations made sense, and I liked that the uh, that he wanted to like continue John Kramer's legacy on a lot on a larger scale, which makes me very intrigued for the future. What I would have done though is I would have kept Tobin Bell's voice as the computer but i wouldn't have done it at first i would have had it be a weird you know t- t- text-to-speech voice for the first couple murders but then at the end with sam jackson i would have had him like turn a knob and modify the voice and now it's jigsaw like to say like i am jigsaw now like that would have been really cool yeah i think you at the very least they could have found a way to get his voice which would have helped a lot more making the twist better um yeah i, w- I would get the voice i the weird like whatever that voice was was weird like what's creepier i want to play a game or i want to play a game <laughs> like no <laughs> like, that shouldn't have escaped the cutting room floor <laughs> yeah i will i i will say and that's probably why i 
I gave it the score I did that well, I still liked it. Sometimes them trying so hard to differentiate this from the rest of Saw did hinder it at times, especially because there's so many Saw moments. Um, like I said, there's a class, there's a twist. There was the fast editing, the fast cuts that has become synonymous with that franchise. So it's like, it was a really weird mix of like trying to be completely different, but still be a Saw movie. I was so happy we got Charlie Clauser's music though. I fucking lost my shit in the theater when I, I started hearing it. I was worried. I was like, they're gonna are they gonna do it? And then it kicked in. I'm like, fuck yes, it's a Saw movie. <laughs> I was like, yes. And dude, also, you know, obviously we haven't talked, we have not talked about it, but the traps obviously being a Saw movie. Oh, we'll get to that for yeah. sure. Yeah. But no, hearing the fuck, dude, hearing that score, because I was wondering, they didn't really play it at first when the twist was. I was like, what's the score coming? But then they got to the end when everything was like picking up. And then they started playing. I was like, oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, it had a with very the, much kind of a game over vibe from the first movie. Yes. Which was nice. Um, with that said, am I the only one that kind of thought that Samuel Jackson was severely underutilized in this movie? Totally. Totally underutilized. Like he, I think he very much signed on to this thing as a favor to Chris Rock. And he was there, but he wasn't going to be there the whole time. Yeah, like I liked it. Like the scenes he was he was in, I liked. I liked the flashback sequences, and I was, I was legitimately. Oh, good. I was legitimately interested in the relationship aspect of him and Chris Rock, but it never got explored because he just disappears at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that was odd. It was they were trying to make him a red herring? Like they were trying to make you think like it was him, but not a chance in hell is Samuel Jackson the next Jigsaw. That's not happening. Okay. That's not going to happen. That means you have to commit him to more movies. That ain't happening. He has a Marvel deal. He's more than happy with. Yeah. I love that in the flashbacks, the way they made you real, the, the way they told you, like, this is young Sam Jackson. <laughs> they gave him a mustache, but I fucking believed it. <laughs> like, I didn't question for a second. Like, yeah, he looks 30 years younger. Sure. Well, wait. The stash, and they made him angry. Did you notice that? All his flashback scenes, he's pissed, and it's awesome. <laughs> I love when, uh, when, Zeke gets shot because that one cop doesn't back him up. And Marcus goes there. He's like, I'm going to go check with dispatch who was the closest in the area. And then I'm going to fucking shoot him. <laughs> Just beats the shit out of that one guy. So unceremoniously. I Bitch, love that. Like, you on, motherfucker. Yeah. On top of, you know, beneath all that shit, he, he loves his son and he's going to fuck up anyone who hurts him. Like that was cute. I did like, I am so happy. He got a really good motherfucker in that movie. When he saw the thing, I said, do you want to play a game, Chief Banks? He's like, oh, you want to play games, motherfucker? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. He's got, it's in his like fucking contract. He's got to say it at least once in like every movie he makes. <laughs> or at least almost say it. Oh, yeah. If they want a PG-13, I'm like, Marvel obviously does. They, they still gave it to him in Captain Marvel. He still got to say it. Oh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> the only fuck... Disney has ever okayed. <laughs> oh, it won't be the only one now. <laughs> Deadpool three. Oh yeah, that's gonna. They are gonna take full advantage of that. It's gonna open with like Deadpool like riding Mickey Mouse in like a fucking you know bondage house or some shit. Like they're gonna they're gonna go crazy with that. I can't wait for the amount of jokes Ryan Reynolds you know is gonna make about the whole merger between Disney and Fox. I, I 
Somebody suggests, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but I'm going to say it again because I just love this. Somebody suggested a great Deadpool cameo for a future X-Men movie that's PG-13, and he's fully aware that it's PG-13, and he's waiting for the right moment to use his only fuck because he knows he gets one. And then right when he's going to do it, Wolverine does it. And Deadpool's just pissed the rest of the movie, but he can't cuss him out because they've already exhausted the amount of fucks they're allowed to have. That would rock. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, so let's talk a bit about the cast and crew here. Uh, Darren Lynn Bousman directed Saw 2, Saw 3, and Saw 4, as well as films like 2010's Mother's Day and 2008's Repo the Genetic Opera. And uh, bringing him back was a big uh, way to kind of assure fans that this was not going to be a reboot. This was going to be, you know... Not the same saw we know and love, but a, let's say a, you know, close cousin. Yeah, I think, yeah, because I think as much as obviously credit goes to James Wan with the first one in birthing this franchise, one could argue the next biggest, you could easily say the next biggest name was Dan Bousman. He made, for many people, myself included, a lot of the fan favorite sequels other than like Saw 6. Because um, Saw 2, like we talked about, absolutely builds and goes bigger from the first movie and is a one of the best fucking sequels in horror out there and i love i think saw three is great i am a defender of saw four and a lot of people don't really like it as much i like saw four so he i have i like all of his saw films i was very happy to hear that he was coming back to the franchise to do this yeah for sure me too and also James Wan and Lee Winnell signed on as producers. So this was getting, you know, approval from all the right people. Right. It was kind of like a Halloween 2018. It was like every single bit of news announcement was just making me happier and happier. Like, oh my God. Okay. You know, at first I was like, really? Chris Rock is doing a Saw movie. Okay. Okay. And then as it went along, I was like, okay, we might have something here. I'm, I'm getting excited now. Chris Rock plays Detective Zeke Banks, the only good cop on the force, which I find hilarious. That like that whole idea in fucking the police culture that like the people who call out the bullshit are labeled as rats and like shown like to be disloyal. Like that is such horseshit. And that's why there's you know good cops are hesitant to step up because this is the shit they have to deal with. They get blacklisted. Yeah, it really kind of speaks to how the to structure works as well to me it was infuriating it's like he did the right thing like that guy killed someone and murdered and murdered and he did the right thing and yet he is getting destroyed by the entire department even his boss who won't really stick up for him she's just giving him shit jobs like, i'm not gonna she, lie like i was like i was like yeah join up with uh with the guy like makes sense He's he's doing he's doing an effective job. I gotta he's say, the only, that, that, he's yeah. the only one that seems to like you, buddy. That and you know he's cleaning house in an effective way. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to argue with this one. Yeah, uh, Rock is one of the most iconic comedians of all time. He began his career in comedy in the cast of Saturday Night Live, then became huge with his stand-up specials like Kill the Messenger, Never Scared, and Bigger and Blacker. He's hosted the Oscars a few times, and some of his most notable starring roles include Dogma, 
Osmosis Jones, the Madagascar franchise, top five, and most recently season four of FX's Fargo. Uh, yeah, he's been kind of, you know, comedy royalty for decades now, and it's cool to see him get, you know, branch out like this. Uh, I've seen a few episodes of season four of Fargo, so I know that he does have range, and this is this just kind of confirms that. Yeah, no, he he should have ranger. I've, he's always been a comedian. I liked uh, Lethal Weapon four. He's hilarious in. <laughs> There's like that great joke where <laughs> Noel Gibson I think convinces Dan Glover that he's actually like gay <laughs> instead of like wanting to you know ask his daughter from ask him for permission to marry his daughter so Danny Glover thinks he's gay so like there's this great confusion joke that keeps happening um which is really funny and uh yeah he like I said there are some questionable moments where I don't know maybe if they just it was hard for him to reach that beat that emotion that it was kind of like hard but I would say overall, like 99% of the movie, yeah, he shows incredibly effective range and is really good in this. I agree. I agree. I loved him in Dogma as Rufus, Jesus' 13th apostle who didn't make it into the Bible because he's black. <laughs> yeah, he's he's funny as hell. I've, I love his stand-up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's still doing, you know, Doing good. Did you see his most recent Netflix special, uh, Tambourine? No, I need to. It's good. It's I about to say it's probably really funny. Another, another thing I forgot to mention, like, like about uh, him in this is that usually, as we know, he's actually known for being very like outrageous and very over the top with his fucking comedy when he does a movie. So to see a more subdued version of him here was actually really cool. Well, the fact that he had an idea for a Saw movie he wanted to do and he got to do it, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it definitely it bleeds from him that he is a fan and that he really won this made, which does help a lot with the performance. Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, Oscar nominee Samuel L. Jackson plays former police chief Marcus Banks. Jackson was nominated for his performance in 1994's Pulp Fiction, and he's one of the most prolific actors in Hollywood. Some of his career highlights include Jackie Brown, Django Unchained, Deep Blue Sea, Snakes on a Plane, Die Hard with a Vengeance, The Negotiator, the Star Wars prequels, and the MCU as Nick Fury. Dude is an acting machine. And I think he always delivers. I think it's crazy. He's only been up for one Oscar. Uh, for pretty much all of his Tarantino work, he should have been up every time. Uh, yeah, it was just him being here is kind of a badge of honor. Like, you know, we got Sam Jackson to be in a Saw movie. <laughs> like, I think I remember the highest point for this was that they got Danny Glover to be in a, the first Saw movie and they completely beat us with, no, we got Samuel Jackson to be in the ninth Saw movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Play like games, said, motherfucker. That's- he he's he's good. The, like I said, I do think he's underutilized, but he is really good as usual in this. His I do like the scenes he is in. His blood also, trap is freaky. Oh yeah, I was wondering what was like when they got to there. We'll get more into it later, but yeah, I was wondering what the fuck was going on with that trap. I'm looking forward to his new movie with Ryan Reynolds, the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. But that's because I like the Hitman's Bodyguard. I didn't see the first one. I'm gonna have to watch that before we go there on the show. I think you were like it. Those two play really well off each other, and it's actually really funny. 
I like them both, so I, I'm sure I'll like it. Uh, Max Mingella plays William Shank, Zeke's new rookie partner. Mingella plays Nick Blaine on The Handmaid's Tale and has appeared in such films as The Social Network, The Ides of March, Horns, and eight episodes of The Mindy Project. And uh, what do you... Th- so, spoiler alert, this is our jigsaw. Uh, what do you think? I think, you know, other than the twist not being fully, like, great in this one... Uh, that for the actual reveal and his performance rise, I actually really liked him. I would I would be down to see him be the killer and the you know the hopeful sequels we get out of this. Um, I thought they did a good job along with his performance again of giving us a justifiable reason on why he's the one that wants to carry on this legacy. And then I for one, I'm actually kind of glad it's not some super secret fucking apprentice again. <laughs> That would have been, oh my God, I would have been so pissed. God, I, I don't think I could take another one. <laughs> but, uh, you are the uh, true one who will carry out my legacy like for the fifth time. Until the next attempt at this. Uh, um, I, I liked him. I think he, like I said, this is successful. I, hope, I think he's going to do a lot of good stuff with it. I think they need to work on the, the voice. I, I agree with you. They need to work on that voice or just bring back at the very least Tobin Bell's fucking voice. In the Saw sequels, you know, four to Jigsaw, even though John Kramer was dead, the game still used his voice. I did. I mean, I don't think it's that much. I know Tobin Bell was, was interested in coming back in some capacity. Yeah. He's never, he had, he's as expressed interest from the beginning that as long as the script's good, he doesn't care if it's his voice or him himself, he will come back. Mm, maybe next time. Hopefully we need this one to do good for maybe next time. So. Uh, Mary soul Nichols plays captain Angie Garza, probably the worst fucking police captain ever. Uh, she played Nadia Yasser on 24 and Hermione Lodge on Riverdale. Her career is mostly recurring roles on TV shows. This is pretty much her biggest movie. Uh, she had a pretty grisly death. Uh, Let me really get into the traps. Yeah, I can't. Wow. Uh. Spiral has an IMDb score of 6.1. Rotten Tomatoes score of 39%. It's the ninth film in the Saw franchise and is now in theaters. Go see it so we can get another one. Uh, so with that, let's talk traps. Uh, so we start with the tongue in the grinder thing, which was fucked up. <laughs> they did the close up real quick, and you see, like, you hear the rip in the blood. I was like, oh, oh god. He's yeah, he's got. Uh, I think Boz was his name. Yeah, Boz. He's got thirty, like thirty seconds or something, to rip out his tongue, or else he's going to get smacked by the A train, and. Or the C train, whatever. The train. I've been watching too much The Boys. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so he's there because he's he lies on uh, under oath all the time. And he's gotten a lot of criminals off and put a lot of innocent people in prison. So now it's time to tear out that which makes you guilty or you will die. And do you think this guy's also making unwinnable traps? No, because had he just immediately jumped off the damn thing, he probably would have been fine. Okay, maybe. All right. My I have better 
evidence for the next trap. Um, it's like in this one, had he just immediately in it, boom, and then ran, he probably could have made it. I will say he makes these traps incredibly more difficult to win. I'll, I'll say that. I don't think they're completely unwinnable like Amanda's, but they are incredibly difficult to fucking get out of. I don't know if I could rip my own tongue out. I don't think I could do That's that. what I'm saying, because that is a, the thought of ripping my own tongue out. But that, and I'll say this now before we get into the rest of the traps, I, these traps to me really harken back before the series went wild in the later sequels for traps, and that they are painful. They really make you think, could I get through this? Like the baseball money, like the quality of these traps, because this movie goes back to the first film that there's not a quantity of traps, there's a quality of traps. And I think each one of these traps is fucking stellar. I agree. I think that he went a little heavy on the mouth stuff. I think having two traps involving the mouth in the same movie is a little lazy. Yeah, but I mean, this is a night saw film. I don't even know how they're still coming up with traps. I can't being... believe that in nine films we've done nothing with the dick. Nothing. I, wow. No, that was Hostile Part 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many rapists have been involved in these games? We've like we've never gone there. Yeah, I would say that I guess that's too much, but Hostile Part 2 did a thing with a dick, and that was released into yeah. theaters. Eli Roth got to cut a man's dick off right in front of us, but Saw can't do it. Yeah, and a dog ate it. Don't forget that part. Oh, yeah, I didn't remember that. I've seen that movie a lot. I quite vividly remember that scene. That's not the point. That's the only part of of Hostel, too, I remember. You don't forget something like that. Um, Stay with me. (laughs) Fucking nightmare fuel. You'll be with me forever. (laughs) Uh, You get it. Um, So the second trap is the uh, fingers, right? That was the second trap. That yeah, yeah. Rough. Oh my god. That that's another one that again, I'm not gonna say it's unwinnable, but fuck is that hard to win. Like it's it's hard to win because like you have to the like you said, you have to clamp down or your fingers are getting ripped. So it's like you have to find a way to scream essentially without fucking opening your mouth. Because mm. it's not like it feels great to get your ring fingers ripped off slowly. Yeah, and you just the the noise, you know, the the sound design of the you know tear. You felt that shit. And then I feel like even though he ripped his fingers off, he still got electrocuted by the bath. I think he took too long. Because remember a couple of times he would open his mouth to scream. Mm. He's that's got a lot he's... for that, though. He's got a lot for some scream time. These are not, you know, that's not a stoic job there. You're going to scream. Well, and that's why I say, I'm not going to say these traps are unwinnable. They're just, they're hard. They're a lot harder. This is a jigsaw that doesn't fuck around this time. <laughs> Fair enough. But, uh, no, yeah, this dude, like, talking about like the sound design, that's another thing with the, not necessarily like the, like, you know, first, like I said, the film delivers on quality with the traps, in my opinion. The other thing is that it is so refreshing. And what it seems like all these horror films that love to do CGI blood, CGI this, when it comes to the big studios, to see a film released by a studio on theaters and the sound design and the practical effects for the, the gore is king and act because like i was feeling that shit like if, if they had done that with some stupid cg bloating i've been like oh whatever but the gore effects are like top notch the sound effects the rip like oh i was i was feeling every single trap yeah me too and actually i wanted to mention this i had the most sadistic audience because they were laughing 
violently at every trap. It was crazy. Like every trap, people were just like, ah, like I had like crazy laughter in my uh, theater. So I know, I know around like the, by the time the, when the franchise was coming out once a year, you'd have people cheering in the theaters, but it was kind of like the traps became like what slasher killing was, right? Like that's what people came to see. I don't recall people laughing. Well, it <laughs> might just be that, that same thing. You know, these are, it was opening night. So these are probably hardcore saw fans who were happy to see this again. So it could have just been, you know, that kind of laughter instead of, you know, a bunch of future serial killers. <laughs> that's true. That's, hey, look, I was one of those hardcore saw fans. I had, you know, besides my tattoo, I had like purposely planets where I was wearing my t shirt. Yeah. Everything. Like I was, I was bedazzled out to go see this new saw movie. So I get it. I don't have a saw shirt, but I, yeah, I did get a cool poster out of it. Um, <laughs> what was the next trap after that? After the, the one we thing? don't see. Oh yeah. The skinning alive. <laughs> yeah. Which I wonder, cause I, I know I told you before I have a sound this thing. So for those who don't know, uh, this film almost got delayed by six months by the MPA because they, had to submit it 11 times. They submitted it 11 times to the MPA and kept getting the X rating. And if they had done it a 12th time again, it, they would have had to wait six months. By luck, on the 12th time, they got the R rating. And Bowsman wouldn't obviously was doing the press before the movie came out, so he wasn't spoiling anything. But he mentioned that there's like, there's a scene, and you'll see it, that we got had so many issues with MPA with. And I wonder if this was the scene, because when they do the quick cuts, Holy fuck. They're quick. <laughs> yeah, but like what you see for a mainstream fucking thing in those quick cuts, I was like, Jesus, that's, I'm, you see, it's quick, but you still see it. You see a man getting skinned, ripped off him. Well, I don't know if that was going to be a trap because it does end up being a decoy. Oh, yeah, it is a decoy. Yeah. It's a moment I want to talk about because fuck, wow, for like an R-rated mainstream American movie, that was a grisly fucking scene. I'm proud. I'm so happy that I got fucking, they were able to get away with it, but fuck, man. I remember like, I, I saw it with my cousin and we were both like, fuck, that's a lot. <laughs> really? um, uh, <laughs> oh, before we get to the next one, I forgot, thinking about this as we're thinking about the Tyler movie, did, did you laugh when uh, Chris Rock wanted to question that dealer in his apartment <laughs> <laughs> he had to rush in there we only got 10 seconds let's go <laughs> he put a fucking die pack in there that was great <laughs> that scene was so good that was hilarious um i loved chris rock kind of channeling his new jack city performance there as the crackhead which again, he dropped. He name dropped New Jack City. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and the was... uh, the vault that like make you know the vault makers that made the evidence room are what was it Jules and Vincent? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, cool shit. Uh, yeah, I the whole crack was... dealer thing was funny as hell. That was funny. That made me laugh. And actually, I think that thing that that was an extra actually was the molten wax thing, I believe. Yeah. Remember, he uh, 
he gets that thing where he's like on the street and the cop's like, yeah, I got cut. And then he goes, he remembers what the notes and he goes, fuck. And Angie, I think was her name. What the fuck her name was? Yeah. He's Angie. Like, Angie, fuck. And he like rushes. And then, yeah, that's the trap with the molten racks, which, oh, that. Oh, oh. I remember I heard when they were the, the killer is explaining everything. And they yeah. do a shot of her on like the neck. And he's like, if you just slam your head down, basically, you'll just be paralyzed. There was an audible gasp in my theater, like an audible, like, oh, like you that trap hit everyone just the thought of like, could you sit there and slam your head back and risk getting paralyzed to get out of that? Like, oh I don't dude, for me it was when uh Banks finds her and like takes the cloth off and her fucking face comes with it. Like, oh, that was hard to stomach. That was, yeah, that was grisly. And even to see the Rex trip on her, you're like, oh. that was wild. And then around that point, like Sam Jackson's been gone for most of the movie, uh, which is never really explained. So is he just hanging up there for like the entirety of this investigation? That's what I assumed. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. Um, yeah, the wax is uh, is vicious. I wonder like what they're not allowed to do. Like, I wonder if there have been traps that have been proposed, but the studio or the MPA is like, absolutely not. I, yeah, I have wondered that. Like, because I know, like, I wonder if they've done, like, the Seth Brogan method sometimes with, like, the boys, where they present the most outlandish shit to those to the studio first, so the studio just goes, no. And then they just find out what the line is. <laughs> I wonder if they've ever done that with the traps and, like, the Saw franchise. Like, what can we propose that's truly outlandish until we finally hit the line that we're okay probably the sexual any sexual stuff i bet that's why there hasn't been anything involving you know there's been no dicks because of that no dicks no vag just you can't go there or else you know x (laughs) immediately yeah makes sense uh so after angie is pete uh who isn't in the cast list on IMDb. So strange. I've never seen that before. So we have one movie that has almost no background on it in profile, and then another one that just is missing a person from the cast. Straight up. Uh, he's, um, I, I, I double-checked to make sure I had the right actor. Uh, Patrick McManus is his name, uh, and he is listed in the, like, he, he's, he's not listed in the cast, like, anywhere. And I don't know why. That's a weird thing to do. That's weird because it's not like he's the ultimate like reveal killer. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Yeah, it's not a reveal. Like I don't know if he did something to like get his name taken off this or what. Do you have any like allegations against him that we're not aware of? I couldn't find anything. Granted, I didn't look for that. <laughs> so so weird. But even then, you don't just take the like you can't keep the guy in the movie and then just remove him from the cast. Remove him from existence, minus his appearance in this movie. That's the vibe I'm getting. Like, what what happened here? It's not just IMDb, it's Wikipedia, too. That's so weird. Yeah, very odd. And letterboxed. Like, and Rotten Tomatoes. This guy does not exist outside of the actual film. It's just the Twilight Zone. (laughs) I don't fucking know. But he's a prick, and I kind of am glad of what happens to him. Yeah, he's an asshole. He deserved it. Oh, yeah. His trap was fucking gnarly. That was brilliant. Just broken glass. 
Yeah. Do you, you know what that uh, was reminiscent of to me? Punisher Warzone. Talk- no, but okay. Oh, what do you? I'm sticking in the universe of Saul. Oh. The Saw 3 trap where the guy's tied to the bottom of that tank and the fucking pig guts are getting sprayed onto him. Remember that one? That is the worst trap ever for me. Like, that's the the worst one just because of how fucking nasty it is. That wasn't nasty. I like how anything nasty is what grosses you out. Like You can rip people open all day, but you spray them with rotten pig guts, I'm walking out. Or, you know, put them into a... A tub of what looked like toxic chemicals in 80s New York. Friday the 13th, remember? No. Jason takes Manhattan. He sticks the guy into the fucking... Whatever the fuck that shit was. Vaguely. I remember that vaguely, but... I remember you got really grossed out by it. I'm going to need to... Yeah. When I I take that trip, there's some... We're going to have to revisit some stuff. Yeah. I don't remember no, that, that at all. <laughs> no, that, uh, yeah, that really reminded me of that. But God, this one, I don't know which one would be, I think this one would be worse in pain, probably. Definitely pain. I would 100% take the broken glass over the pig guts. Really? 100%. Yes. Yeah. Cause you know what? Drowning in pig guts does not sound fun. Even if you make it out alive, that smell, that taste is never going away. Like that's who you are now. You're the pig man. <laughs> Broken glass, at least I'll probably die. <laughs> after a lot of, God, that just, after a lot of what looks to be pain, not only pain, like some of the glass are showing going down. I was like, fuck, that does not look fun. That's so simple, though. Just broken glass fired at you high velocity. Like, yeah. And then you see like Chris Rock's face, you see like little ones in his, and he has to pull that one out of his arm. And I was, oh, ah. Uh, but fucking awesome trap. Kind of laughed when he's picking that one out of his arms, like, oh, and you just see Pete dead, but full of broken glass behind him. And he's like, oh, ooh, that hurt. <laughs> Made me laugh. <laughs> it's why I say sometimes the performance was questionable. There's moments. <laughs> but overall, he does successfully stretch what we know him for. <laughs> it immediately reminded me of another jigsaw. In Punisher Warzone, when Billy Rosati gets chucked in the broken glass bin and just dragged around for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I remember that. Not not the TV show where, you know, he was totally jigsaw. Yeah, when he just had, you know, emotional scars. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck but that. But he was so... <sighs> God, I fucking... I, look, I'll, I actually did not mind the Netflix, like, Punisher show, but that pissed me off. Yeah, yeah, straight up. That's why I haven't watched it yet. I just was so upset at the way they handled that. I just know I'm not going to enjoy it. Yeah, that part's not really my only negative to the season. Besides that, everything else about the season was really good. Obviously, especially John Berthold. Oh, he's the man. He's the, the yeah. best guy to ever play the Punisher, and I really hope Marvel retains him. I Yeah, please keep him. <laughs> yeah. Damn, that'd be awesome. Um, so with that, we get a little homage to the original movie where Chris Rock is uh, handcuffed. Wait, could you imagine John Berthold as like the jigsaw killer in this movie? Yes, I can. That would be awesome. I'm imagining right now in my head and it's amazing. Yeah, where he's just like one of the asshole cops and then it's revealed that it was him the whole time. 
Yeah. Like maybe like Hoffman was his old partner or something. And he taught him everything about it. That would be amazing. I would, I wanted more connections to the, to the OG. I get why they yeah. didn't, but I was hoping for more, you know, somebody, so-and-so was my father or so-and-so was you know, my college roommate or some shit. I don't know. I just like that shit. My college roommate's friend's father. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, yeah. What you were saying with the homage I, with Chris Rock, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Handcuffed to the pipe, saw in hand. And he was not, he was very quick to put that on his wrist. Like he was going <laughs> to. Has no one learned from Detective Matthews? All you got to do is break a few bones. <laughs> or cut through the rotten ass pipe. No, because yeah, they they are so quick to be like. Clearly, we need to saw something off. <laughs> I better be one hundred percent out of options before I start cutting stuff off. Because I don't want to find out. Like, oh, I could have just done this. <laughs> oh boy, I love it. He finds the uh, the bobby pin and is like, and unlocks it. Like, that's funny. But it also is, you know. Harkens back to Jigsaw leaving a easy option for people who, you know, think twice about it. Yeah, like if you just take a moment to stay calm and think and look, there isn't much easier option that occurs far less pain in your life. Yes. Most of the time. Sometimes there's still pain. Mm-hmm. Like, you uh, know, getting a key out from your fucking eyeball. There's no way any of your options involve no pain. He could have gone under. The stitches were still there. Just open those stitches and reach in. Do you think that's going to feel great, though, when you reach into your fucking wound in your face? Feels better than ripping your eye out, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. That'll heal. That won't. (laughs) Your eye doesn't grow back most of the time. Um, (laughs) So Chris Rock wanders around this warehouse, always a warehouse. I'll never understand where Jigsaw and his people get these get this real estate and uh he finds his dad strung up bleeding out in jars and that's when we learn that jigsaw's like jigsaw 2.0 or if you want to count the apprentices jigsaw 5 is shank the guy who died off screen not i'm only saying i'm shocked but it, I, it was, it was, I, I accepted it. I wasn't yeah. upset. I was just like, oh, okay. It was to me in the entire, if you look at the entirety of the series and the twist, right? The probably the most underwhelming one. But I, I blame a lot of that for, and I don't know, it seemed almost intentional on the movie perspective, which was we're really not trying to make this. Because again, if you notice, they didn't really play the music when you find out. It was him. So I don't, it almost felt like they weren't really hinging on the twist as much because to me, you should know they, if you're making a Saw movie and it's like the ninth one in the series, you have to work on that twist because most people going in to see this are diehard Saw fans who know the formula, who know that, okay, there's going to be a twist. The movie doesn't hide from the fact that there's going to be a twist because the whole movie is who's the new Jigsaw killer, who's this copycat. Um, so it, yeah, it was an underwhelming twist in relation to the rest of this series. But I got to give him credit that when he started explaining it, I still went, oh, okay, I get it. I like for, quickly forgave it because the reason was actually really solid. Yeah, he, his, you know, Pete killed his father. Banks didn't give him up as a witness. 
So he's a good cop. So this guy then stumbled onto Jigsaw, learned everything about him, replicated his formula, got himself transferred to Banks to be his partner. It does get a little convoluted the more you think about it. But they all do. Yeah. And I also feel like the, the main twist wasn't necessarily like, who is this? But why was he doing this? Was almost like more so the more concerned part about the twist that I felt like from the film. It was like that that's what they were concerned with. Less who is it and more why are they doing this? And that the ultimate reveal is that this has really been like one big test for uh, Chris Rock's character to join him. Yeah, to be his apprentice. <laughs> yeah. The legacy does not stop. And he ultimately does decide to save his dad and let the, well, he doesn't let the guy go. He jumps his ass. But that was all part of the plan because he does that. And that's when the music kicks in and Sam, like SWAT arrives and like Sam Jackson's silhouette looks like a guy with a gun. So they just gun down the former chief of police without thinking. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then just let the guy go. I like how like in all fairness, they could have easily rushed that elevator themselves, but they just watched the door close for him to just go and like shush him <laughs> I wish he said game over yeah I was like you're gonna be jigsaw you gotta you gotta wear the pants <laughs> you gotta do this right you gotta say game over you have to say I want to play the game and game over yeah and it's, occasionally live or die make your choice I need those three things <laughs> he did say he said two, two of those we got oh yeah yeah in a weird you know Stephen Hawking voice but <laughs> You know, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> uh, the lighting in that room was pretty easy to know that that is a man dangled on wires. Yeah. They were really quick to shoot him. Yeah. And I wonder if that was probably the, the most with the political, me- that, that was like the build up to the message on cops and that. that I know that they're very quick to shoot first sometimes and not necessarily ask questions. And that being very, especially like a SWAT team, usually when SWAT gets involved, they're not there to ask questions. Yeah. They're there to fucking potentially kill people. That's the purpose of SWAT. Um, so you, I, it could be that, like, yeah, the lightning would tell you otherwise that that's clear someone trap, but also kind of took it as, like, tensions were high. You have one guy being a shadow dude in an elevator. They're having to fucking bust through a room. And yeah, t- no one was paying attention. Tensions were high. Things got very severely out of hand. You could say that, yeah. Uh, I wonder if uh, Banks is going to be charged with anything. That I am curious on, because I mean, technically, there's nothing he did wrong at all. He tra- he saved his father. Technically, he did go after the actual culprit. And he can easily tell him that he's a cop. Like, he can easily prove that. But, yeah, that I mean, that's, I'm sure, stuff they're saving for the hopeful sequel that we get. So, like we said, please go out in theaters and see this damn movie so I get a, some answers. Yeah, damn straight. I uh, Overall, I enjoyed it. I give it an eight. Uh, I don't think it's the best Saw movie. I don't think it's the worst. Uh, but it is, you know, snugly in the middle. And I would watch it again. I'll add it to the marathon. Yeah, I, I agree with your score. I agree with the eight. Um, you know, I don't think I don't I think it's gonna take a lot for any film in this franchise now to be to be as for me to love as much as I do like that first kind of like batch of like maybe four or that original run 
And but that has, like I was saying, so I feel a lot of nostalgia involved in me being a teenager and experiencing my first real big horror franchise essentially in real time instead of going back to stuff. Yeah. Um, but for having someone like Chris Rock, who was a fan that wanted to bring a new story and kind of change the style a little bit, but still keep that it very much saw and continue a story and it not be a reboot. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. He did a really good job. There was a lot I liked about it, and there was enough for me to go, yeah, I would definitely see a sequel and where they go with this. It has my interest. Um, I was, yeah, I agree. I, I liked it quite a bit. I was really actually surprised at how much I ended up liking it. Me too. Me too. I'm glad they, you know, they gave us purists something. They threw us a bone. Yeah. Yeah, they, they gave us something, and at the same time, enough to get maybe some new people in that might not have uh, been there for that original one or something, because you really don't need as much of a... You don't really have to watch the prior ones more so with this one. This is probably the only film in the franchise you don't have to watch the prior ones to be completely like in line with what you're seeing. True, and that's good, I guess, on some level for newcomers. Uh, yeah. In the end credits, we get this... Uh, 21 Savage song Spiral, which I didn't care for. Yeah. Uh, it was okay. I liked, I didn't mind this. I, I kind of thought it was cool how he remixed the beat of like the original school with the song, but. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of corny. Like, not once have I heard the saw music and thought, this needs a beat. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this this movie had a much more noticeable hip hop flair to it. I mean, almost all the music played was rap. Yeah, it did. It wasn't like in Saw Two where they played Mudvayne <laughs> in the credits. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you had a blast. We certainly did. Uh, next week, we really only got one movie we want to talk about, and that's Netflix and Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. So don't miss next week where we talk zombies, Vegas, and the Art of the Heist movie. Uh, on Wednesday's Filmgasm, we're going to be digging into Zack Snyder's first zombie movie, the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead, also written by James Gunn, so we're going back to him. On Oscar Sunday, we're going back to the 50s for the superb courtroom drama Anatomy of a Murder. Going to be a good week. Hope you have one, too, and keep watching movies.